1: Ladies and gentlemen,
2: you are now entering the Second Threat Comics podcast,
1: starring Mark Clare and Renzo Martinez. The
3: Uda Negra, that is Black Widow in Espanol, and I just saw... The recently released Marvel film, Black Widow. I did not see it in Spanish. I did see it in English, but I did see it in Mexico, in Mexico City. And I'm going to talk about it, not just me, we are going to talk about it here today. Of course, to do that, I have the one and only, my partner, the Ramblin' Man himself, Remzo W. Martinez.
2: Hola, Mark. Welcome Welcome back to the U.S. of A., Gracias, gracias. Uh, I saw, I, I want to bring this up because this is how you, how you raise kids right. Um, in our group, what has been amazing has been the number of parents who had to take off time from comic books to raise their children. And now, as some of their children are learning to read, they have actually tried to indoctrinate them into nerddom by getting them into comics. Uh, Paul, uh, a few of the other guys I can think of, have, have gotten their kids into comics. It's been great seeing parents bonding with their kids over that. But you got the opportunity to take your stepson to go get his very first comic books. Good freaking job.
3: I did indeed I'm, I'm very proud of it um, I knew that he was because we had bought him the uh, the Miles Morales Spider-Man game for PS4 and he just destroyed that blew right through it and I knew he was a fan of that character but I didn't know how into comics he was going to be or wanted to be and of course being the indoctrinator that I am I of course wanted to imbue him and addict him to this thing just like me uh, so uh, you know I talked to him I said hey are you interested in comic books and he said yeah so uh, and I said so we found out this uh, big comic books store in Mexico City, where I was with my wife and my stepson, and uh, Fantastico Comics is what it's called. So we took a trip down to Fantastico Comics, uh, got him a few Spider-Man books. He got a, let's see, what did he get? He got a, a Spider-Man Noir, they're basically all Spider-Man, Spider-Man Noir, a Spider-Man Deadpool comic, uh, one copy of a book you've been reading, Spider-Man, uh, Spider's shadow Love it. And I also got him this big trade paperback, uh, I don't remember the name of it, but it's basically The Birth of Venom, and it has, it collects all, basically all the issues issues. issues leading up to the creation of Venom, Uh, Spider-Man getting the black suit, uh, you know, some of his early adventures in the suit and then the suit uh, heading over to Eddie Brock. So that's all in one huge trade paperback that I'm really most excited for him to read since I grew up kind of reading that, that whole story myself. So it's going to be cool to see him uh, getting into this, uh, you know, 30 or 30 or so years later here.
2: Nice. That's how you do it folks. If you get your kids hooked on comic books early, they'll never have money for drugs.
3: (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They won't have money for drugs or dating, just like me in high school. So you know, if you want to keep them clean, get them hooked on comics.
2: Absolutely. And speaking of clean, uh, we we've been listening to the. To the comments, to your feedback, not when you're screaming at us demanding stuff, but when you ask politely and you put a little please, please, Mr. can may I have some more of this uh, over in the Second for Comics fan zone and on Twitter. Uh, we are going to be talking about a couple of things today, but we're going to go ahead and start with uh, Black Widow, which we, you know, I, I feel like this movie has been out for like two, three years now. <laughs> it feels like and, it. uh, yeah, and it feels kind of weird. I mean, it was the first Marvel film in theaters in almost a year and a half. Twenty twenty had no Marvel films in theaters. We're gonna talk a little bit about that. Uh, we're gonna talk about a few other things. I mean, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of the order, Mark, because there I, I've got strong opinions about everything we're gonna talk about today. Oh, you we're, we're gonna talk about opinions, some of the stuff. James, though, I don't yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, well, we're we're gonna talk about some of the new books we're reading. I mean, where, where 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 do you want to start now? Because I'm I, I want it I want to tease up some things, but if I go into that, we're we're probably just gonna rant well, for a
3: bit. Well, like you kind of mentioned, you know, we we started this show with a very specific format in mind. For the most part, we have stuck to that format, where either you or I produce an episode uh, based on an old comic that we've read, sometimes a newer story that we want to get into. We go through it, we chat about it, we uh, we have a good time, we lay out some facts, so we talk some nonsense, and we move on with our lives. Uh, but, you know, once in a while, we kind of break from that format, and two, and when we really like to listen to our fans. I think that's something we talked about from the very beginning, that while we we know what we, we want to do with the show, we're also going to evolve and adapt based on the feedback we get from our fans we are here to serve, and the feedback we have gotten, both uh, from comments and from the actual download numbers, is that people really like when we do these movie reviews, they also really like when we talk a little bit about the comics we're currently reading, so I say we do both of that, we both do both those things today, we'll talk about the movie, talk about some comics we've been reading lately, and uh, but before we get into that, Remzo, I, I can just tell something's, something's been on your mind, something's Kind of bothering you. We don't need to spend the whole show on it, but is there anything you want to get off your chest about a certain comic book company, perhaps? <sighs> I'm gonna actually leave the room for 20 minutes while you're uh, going to start what you just
2: <laughs> Man, have you ever been with someone who you're like madly in love with and it's like you know, you're like we could be like Bonnie and Clyde, like Ben and Jerry like Harry met Sally, but it's like an this abusive relationship. Me, I mean, I mean, no, I know we, no, I know we go way
3: back here, but.
2: Well, it's, it's more like, <laughs> it's, it's less like those. It's more like Chris Brown and Rihanna, you know, it's like mm. Chris hits me. Cause mm-hmm. he loves me, man. I think I have to end an abusive relationship. Okay. I'm done buying Marvel comics. Wow. Yeah. I done done. I am I am done done. Well, I'm going to keep Marvel Unlimited because I have to ha- I have to, I have to know what's going on. But in terms of like buying physical print comic books, well, Marvel uh, Unlimited from, is, a, is
3: a business expense for us. We we use it yeah. to go through all the Marvel stories that we talk. We, about. We'd so. be
2: terrible entertainment writers and journalists if we if we didn't know at least what was going on. But in terms okay. of actually buying individual comic books, uh, I'm I'm done for Marvel from from this point on. I might go back and buy like back issue stuff from you know like my childhood, but at this point I can't do it anymore. I I have, I have been very, very lenient. I have been very, very forgiving when it comes to certain individuals and certain actions in this industry, because I love comics. I love the the community and everything about it. But, um, you know, as some of you may have seen over on my Twitter, you can find me at Hey Remso, uh, especially on, on Facebook, on my, on my personal fan page, Remso W. Martinez. Uh, Marvel crossed a line with me that I've been talking about over on Patreon. I know I'm just giving all the plugs, but I want to just let you know, like, this isn't just something that just happened. This has been a whole series of events that's been leading up to this. And Marvel went out and they're doing a a special sized issue. It's a one shot with all of their Hispanic and latin characters and instead of just doing that they are basically doing a latinx celebration
3: well Renzo, now, Mar- doesn't that sound wonderful coming from you a, a young latino boy yourself
2: <laughs> now no so now is what you said you said latino and you didn't say
3: latinx right because because that word means nothing to me in fact it's
2: it's it's absolute bullshit it's absolute bullshit Latinx has been pushed on us by what, what I will describe. And you're as, not joking around here because,
3: I mean, you, this, this word actually does offend you, correct? Yeah,
2: no, like this, this genuinely makes me mad. Like, And I, I know people who are on all sides of the political spectrum who believe in all types of things. And universally, the only people I have met who use the term Latinx are white elitist types who work, you know, very, very, high, you know, highbrow, well-paying jobs who are typically from the coast, who typically live in cities, and who typically only, you know, they, they, they form this echo chamber in the entertainment space. And they they push this word upon us because it's genderless, because it's ambiguous, because it's all these things. Basically, it's, for the most part, white establishment types in the entertainment world. And I'll even go as far as say politics and academia who are too lazy to learn anything about individual uh, Latin cultures. And they want to just go ahead and put us into the, like this giant genderless, anthropomorphic freaking mosh pit. And it's, it's a disgusting term. Like, you know, a, a person from Mexico has very little in common with a person from Brazil or a person from Honduras has very little in common with a person from Puerto Rico. And I can keep going on. And I I always had a problem with the term, you know, Latino for the most part. I've actually thought about writing a book called Latinos Aren't Real because the term Latino is actually a, a recent term and it was done for voting purposes in order to take everyone from Central South America who were in the United States and try and treat them like one giant ethnic group.
3: I like that title. I'll tell you that
2: I I, I'm gonna copyright. I think I might do that book one day. But like it's been this growing thing. But it's like you know like Latino Latina. Like I could live with it. I understand it for the most part. I don't like it, but it didn't bother me. But when they went into this Latinx route, and then it was like, no, that's what we're going to do from now on. You don't have a say in it. it. It became incredibly disturbing, and this this idea. And I don't speak Spanish, Mark. But what I do know is this is that, you know, like Spanish is a gendered language. In fact, you speak Spanish more than I do.
3: I am I definitely know more Spanish than you. How so. would
2: yeah, like how would you say, say how would you say Latin X in Spanish?
3: <laughs> you wouldn't. Exactly.
2: <laughs> like if you tried to do it, like like how do you say X in Spanish? Uh,
3: like X? The letters. Latin, equis. Yeah. Latin X? Yeah, but no one would say that. That's not a real word.
2: No one would freaking say that. So I, I go and I share this around online with a screenshot of Marvel's post about this, and I'm just like, I'm done. Like this is this is offensive. It's tone deaf. It's ignorant, and I I'm I'm done with it. And what does really warm my heart though is that I went into the comics of that post on Marvel's Facebook page, and they are getting skewered by everyone. And if you think, oh, my God, SPC's got into the culture war, cancel woke stuff. Let me tell you, I saw as many people who are right wing and as many people with like, you know, vote Joe, you know, Joe Biden, all this other stuff on their on their Facebook profile picture, all going after this thing. People who come from, you know, Hispanic, Spanish origins have all basically come out together on this post thread and said, this whole Latin next thing is bullshit. And the fact that you're just trying to do this because you think you're going to go ahead and get us to suddenly buy this thing, which is a giant pander fest of a book is, is bullshit. We don't buy miles Morales. We don't buy Robbie Reyes ghostwriter. We don't buy any of those books because they happen to be Hispanic characters. We like them because they're genuinely good characters. So one, I could have ignored the fact that it was a giant pander book to try and get people from an ethnic group to try and buy it just because of that identity politics. But the fact that they led with it's Latin X celebra- celebration and all this shit. It's like, I'm not buying your shit. Like I've forgiven so much from you, but I can't do this anymore. You're, 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 you're pushing me out, trying to bring me in. And it, it's sickening. So I am I am done buying new Marvel comics from this point on.
3: It's one layer of condescending pander too far, uh, basically. And uh, yeah, to to call it this this celebration and to use this term, I mean, it. I don't know. I, look. I'm a white guy. I'm a white guy who's who's married into a, a Latino. I, I don't. Even, I mean, nobody used that word anywhere else. I'm saying you married it, into I, a Mexican I, family. I'm saying it's someone in jest, Yeah, yeah into into yeah. a Mexican family. Um, the, the, the words like Latino, Latinx, like these are not words used by anyone outside of the United States, outside of you know probably uh, white people in the United States, really, truly. So, um, I can see how it's just got to be. I, I think this is just one one last step. Like you said, this does not happen overnight, but th- there's something about that term I can tell the X on there that just takes it to a whole new level and calling it a celebration when it's really just we're going to try to pander to this broad set of people and act like they are one thing when no they are not at all none of us are really I hate pandering to groups in in any kind of way shape or form because we're all individuals Um, I understand like wanting representation Uh, that that makes perfect sense to me because let's be honest most comics most of the characters we know and love were invented in the 1930s to 1950s and almost all of white male characters because that's who most of the readership was back then.
2: Yeah. I mean, for, for new listeners, Mark, for like new listeners who like, this happens to be their first episode, like, <laughs> like you can go back it's in the archives I have defended Miles Morales as Spider-Man, who I love. I've defended Kamala Khan as Ms. Marvel, who I love. I, I really like the idea of new characters or legacy characters stepping up to represent the diverse readership of this industry. That's what makes comic books and fandom movies, entertainment, whatever, so much fun. But when it comes to this... Like, you know, it's bad enough Marvel can't write good books anymore. Now you're just going to go ahead and try and sell books based off of this. Like, you know, I and I I never said anything when D.C. did their Pride Month thing. I never said anything else when they said they were going to intentionally hire more writers of a certain you know sexual orientation or background. My thing was like, I'm going to let their talent and their skill show me who they are and what Marvel has shown me is that they fucking suck now and I can't do it anymore. I'm sorry. I, I I thought I couldn't
3: quit you, but I can, and I have to, I'm done. Well, if you enjoyed that rant, you can get, (laughs) you can get weekly Remzo rants by joining the second print comics, Patreon over at patreoncom slash second print pod. Every single Sunday you get another Remzo rant. So. That's worth the 5 bucks right there alone to be honest.
2: Yeah. We 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 got to move on to happier trails. Did you
3: like did you like Black Widow? Did you like Black Widow? <laughs> uh, one place where you are not going to get a lot of Latinx X representation is in the film we're going to talk about today, Black Widow. Um uh, not through any sort of, you know, fault of Marvel. It was yeah, you know, mostly about Russians to be honest. So, I wouldn't expect yeah. a lot of a lot of a uh, Latinx, Latino, whatever you want to call it, (laughs) representation. I don't want to go there anymore. But uh, I did get to see this movie. I was excited about it. And I was glad that I was able to see it in a theater because I, like you, I believe... I pay for Disney plus. I like the idea that they can release a movie to me early, but if I'm going to press a button and pay $30 to see that movie, it's going to be on a big ass screen in the theater. So I was thrilled that it was, uh, did release in Mexico the same time it released here. So I was able to go, uh, see that with, with the family. And, uh, where do we even begin here? Where do we begin? Why don't we begin at the beginning? This, this movie started off pretty hot.
2: Yeah. I, uh, yeah, first off my, My guess as to what this film was going to be like. What I liked about the marketing is that they really frame this as a spy movie. I think where Marvel succeeds, whereas other film franchises and or other cinematic universes fail, is that Marvel can really take a character or take a storyline that you're familiar with, and they can put it through the lens of a different genre and make it feel fresh in a way. So they really doubled down on the fact that this is going to be a spy thriller film that happens to deal with superheroes and stuff within the universe you've already become accustomed to. So I I think they really delivered on that. It felt almost like, I won't say a James Bond. I think, while some people thought it was going to be kind of James Bond, I felt like it was more like a female Jason Bourne film. Which was awesome I had car chases It had awesome close combat Felt kind of John Wick at some points But still had that Marvel flair And that Marvel sense of you know Optimistic humor at certain points That kind of pulled you out And still reminded you This is a superhero flick from the MCU So on that note I thought it was really awesome What uh, I thought was kind of A challenge for this film Is that this is the third film In the MCU Which is out of chronology Not out of canon I'm not saying it's not cano- It's not uh, canonical. What I'm saying is that it was out of chronology. So the first one to do that was Ant-Man and the Wasp. It, it, it you know, in terms of when it was released, it came out after Infinity War, but actually took place after Captain America: Civil War in terms of sequence. And then you had Captain Marvel, which took place after Ant-Man
3: and the Wasp. But well, no, Captain Marvel took place in '85 or '95.
2: Yeah, I'm sorry. It was released after Ant Man: The Wasp, right. but it was placed, you know, in in the late '80s, early '90s. So for Marvel to do this again uh, with Black Widow, where it, you know, story wise, it took place like minutes after Captain America: Civil War, um, I thought that was actually pretty bold because I thought, you know, it's going to feel really weird, especially since we know, spoiler alert, she's dead. Mm-hmm. But um, they, they really kind of pulled you back into that. I, I, I am curious, though, as to whether or not people who may because I always encounter these people at some point. They're freaks amongst us. Um, these people who it's like this is their first Marvel movie. I'm always curious as to how they will feel. But for the most part, what I've seen online from the few that are out there where this was like their first Marvel movie, they weren't too overtly confused with it. Some of the references to Captain America being a criminal and stuff, they're like, well, what happened? That's like, well, you know, you're not going to get, if you didn't see the prior films, but uh, for the most part, like as a standalone film, without necessarily even being an explicit origin story, even though this very much was Black Widow's origin story film. Uh, I, I got to say it's one of the stronger Marvel standalone films we've probably had in like 10 years. So I was, I was happy with Black Widow, and I'm glad I got to see it in theater. I will say, though, that my only criticism isn't necessarily the film. It's the fact that I've gotten so accustomed over the past year and a half to seeing such high-quality Marvel shows through Disney+. Plus that watching this film in theaters i can't tell whether the film quality is down or whether the tv quality is up and for me it felt like you know could i have been fine watching this at home but at the end of the day i'm glad i saw it in theaters i'd watch it again if it was on tv and i was i was pretty happy with it in terms of its place as the next installment of the mcu
3: yeah it's interesting how you bring up the comparison to these these newer Disney plus TV shows that are so high quality uh, that in many ways feel like they're on the level with the films. But now this is kind of the first film we've seen since we've been really getting those shows this past year. And um, it's an interesting thought because I mean, just as you're saying that I was thinking like, how would I feel about this if this was a four part miniseries called Black Widow? And it was basically the same thing. I'd probably think it was pretty good, and I probably think it was a high-quality TV show. I don't know if if it would feel more or less epic if I'm watching at home on Disney Plus uh, in that kind of format. Uh, maybe they can give me a few cliffhangers here and there, but to me, it worked as a movie on a lot of different levels. One, I had very low expectations. Not that I had any reason to think it wasn't going to be good. It just because it took place out of chronology and because I've been you know, we've heard about this movie for so long. It was delayed, I think, over an entire year at this point, maybe even more. Um, I kind of got over it in a sense. I kind of stopped caring about it in the meantime. Uh, I knew her character was gone. Uh, I knew this was going to take place years in the past. So it never felt like something I was anticipating uh, at the Level of you know an Avengers Infinity War, or even at the level of some of the movies that are coming out later this year, like Shang Chi or the Eternals or uh, Spider Man Far From Home. Um, but uh, that that lack of expectation from me, I think, really helped my enjoyment of it because I, I really went in just thinking, I'm here to you know just just have a good time and see where this thing takes me and not overthink it too much. And I think it really over delivered in that sense. It gave me um, I, you know I, in my mind I was thinking eh, I kind of know her story. She grew up as this Russian kind of spy in the Red Room and ended up turning on the whole thing, joining S.H.I.E.L.D., and that is true, That's, and I, I didn't learn too much outside of that, but they did really show me her backstory and in, in a in a really compelling way, in a way, and I think a large part of this goes to the actors that were cast in this film. Uh, David Harbour, specifically, I think was just absolutely phenomenal. Oh, my favorite as, part. As, yeah, as the Red Guardian in this, it was just, he did, he was everything he, he should have been. Uh, he played this um, older, actor. Out of shape, uh, prideful, basically version of the the Russian version of Captain America, um, and, and who he, you know he has these grand tales of battling Captain America, uh, fighting along Captain America, none of which ever happened because Captain America was frozen the whole time that Red Guardian was you know created in the '80s. But he kind of has this this whimsically uh, whimsically sort of um, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for Wh- whimsically juvenile sort of exuberance about him uh, even at his this older. Stage in life when he's you know he's kind of out of shape. Uh, he's been in this Siberian jail for twenty years or so. Uh, you know he doesn't really fit into his armor, but he's got this spirit, the spirit about him that just um it just it makes him a very lovable character the whole time, even when really he's kind of. He's not a villain per se. He's not a hero per se. He just is. He just is this character. And yeah, he's definitely done some things that were somewhat dastardly, um, allowing his children who weren't really his children to be drugged and taken into this program in the Red Room, uh, as we saw in the, the beginning flashback of the film. Uh, but every time you see him on camera, every time he's on screen, it's hard not to enjoy that performance. And I, I really can't imagine any other actor playing this role and, and, and you know, and, you know, doing so much with it uh to me he was the absolute star of this film
2: yeah i mean i i'll I'll even give credit to rachel wise i've never yeah like i've never been a huge fan of her acting but this might actually be my favorite role that she's been in uh by playing um her character you know as as basically the red guardians partner when they were working for the russian government um, like, I, I think I think she did great. She had great chemistry with him. She had great chemistry with um, uh, with uh, uh, Scarlett Johansson. I mean, it was like I, I think everyone was pretty much perfectly cast for this film. And what's funny is um, the the bad guy. I, I forget his name, but the Russian Dreykov. bad guy, Dreykov. I don't know about you, but in the scene where they finally do get to the red room towards the final act of the film, I think he solidified himself as probably one of the most sadistic villains in the MCU. Like what they've tried to do with Loki is they've tried to recast him as a, you know, as a, as a sympathetic character with, with Thanos, they really wanted you to make him make the make the viewer see him as someone who considers himself a hero. And then you've got like some of the blander villains who are just bad for the sake of being bad. And then you've got some like, you know, my, my personal favorite MCU visit villain uh, it's, you know, uh, Baron Zemo but with with this guy Drake
3: even Zemo is kind of gone soft in a way you know just in terms of the way he's portrayed with the whole the whole dancing thing he's already being turned into sort, somewhat of uh, very different than he was portrayed in Civil War when he really was a villain they're already kind of turning him into sort of like that villain you kind of want to root for kind of similar to the Loki
2: yeah but but like with Marvel and this is why this is one reason why I criticize Marvel and this is one edge I give to DC it's like they always want to add a bunch of layers to their villains, but sometimes, and much like in the real world, sometimes people are just evil because they like it and they do these terrible things, not because they're forced to, not because there's a bunch of reasons that you know try and make you seem to justify it, but because they just want to do it. And that scene where he's talking about what he did to Natasha's mother, where she's like, um, "Where did you bury my mother?" and he's like, "Oh yeah, you know, we 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 wrapped up her body and we took her out to this tree." And we, we gave her a gravestone. What does it say? It says unknown. Hmm. That, was one of, that was the part where I'm like, this guy's a piece of
3: shit. And that could be true or not true. But either way, he said it just to be an evil prick.
2: Yeah, I mean he's probably like even though he's not, you know, wiping out half of existence, even though he's not trying to like, you know, be part of World War 2 and shit like that, all this other stuff, like he is probably in terms of just his level of cruelty the most evil person we've seen as a on-screen villain.
3: I mean, you may you may be right. I mean, I think the difference between say him and Red Guardian because they were basically on the same side; they were both working for Mother Russia, doing you know some evil commie shit, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, but David Harbour's character, Red Guardian, is just someone who we we understand has pride in his country, tried to do the right thing from his point of view. Whereas Dreykov is just an evil bastard who happened to be a part of that same country. Yeah, I mean, but- it's
2: like you look at you look at him, and it's like there's no intentional cruelty. With Dreykov, he is intentionally cruel. And I think that's what separates, you know, uh, uh, you know, some villains from the others. It's like, you know, in, in uh, I'll use Batman Begins for an example. I liked Liam Neeson's Ra's al Ghul. Ra's al Ghul did bad things, but Ra's Ghoul Ghul was never like intentionally cruel, even though he wanted to kill civilians and shit like that. Like, yeah, he's a bad guy, but he he never went out of his way to be extra evil like that. Whereas like with... Uh, with the Joker, he is intentionally cruel to people because he genuinely enjoys doing it. Just because it's like even when he wins a situation, the point of
3: it for someone like the jo- or character like the Joker,
2: yeah. So like for Draykov, like when he's like you know beating Black Widow and stuff like that, it's like he's doing it because he genuinely enjoys it, mm-hmm. and it's like that is the what you know, I I mean, that's what really makes them stand out because like with, with Marvel, like, you know, the, 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 the villains feel like Disney villains, you know, it's like the bad guy from Dr. Strange, uh, you know, mad Mickelson. It's like, I was always, I was always kind of mad because it's like, you know, you have this great actor who's playing a bad guy, make him the bad guy. Mad at mad. I was mad at mad. So it's like one of these situations where it's like, you know, sometimes it's okay to just let your bad guys be bad guys, but for them to go out of their way and make him as intentionally cruel as he was... Um, that, you know, even though he was in the film only for a very short amount of time, it really stood out to me and it's, it's a, it's a performance I'm not going to forget.
3: Yeah. His character, I think they've definitely put him up, up there in the upper echelon. Now, of course the bar has been pretty low because I think the one, one of the weaker points of the Marvel films at large has been the villains in a, in a lot of the, a lot of the films, especially the standalone films. Uh, uh oftentimes it seems like you're just kind of getting a generic other version of the hero you know obadiah Stane as Ironmonger, uh you know tim roth as as, as abomination um michael keaton michael keaton i gotta say is was one of the better performances as well um that's more due to michael keaton the actor than you know necessarily the story itself i mean he, he was just phenomenal in, in spider-man homecoming actually uh he, he may be one of my favorite performances as an actor but uh even his character was portrayed as you know a dad trying to get by who happened to sell some arms. You know, not not necessarily a cruel, cruel actor. Whereas Drykov here, I mean, they, there's not a, a little, there's not a hint of sympathy that you could possibly have for this character. He is portrayed truly as cruel. Uh, I'm not sure the actor's name who portrayed him, but he did a hell of a job. So I mean, you know, and, and one thing I really liked about him too is that he's scary not because of any actual physical power that he has. He actually has no power at all. He's all a fat old powers. Russian dude. He's just a scary Russian dude who happens to control a bunch of hot chicks with this weird, you know, weird substance, and can basically do whatever he wants. I really, I, really, I did like the twist too that uh, whatever they had the the, the, the pheromones or whatever, yeah. however how they had programmed Black Widow, so that she was unable to harm him because of she, you know, because of the they somehow, you know, brainwashed her or, or gave her this chemical that she reacted to his scent, his pheromones, by being unable to harm him. I really thought that was just an interesting way to level the playing field where, cause you know, of course, you know, black widow should be able to just kick his ass completely. But you know, but when you have them in the room together and you realize that, you know, I'm thinking, how is she not just going to kick his ass here? And that was, um, an interesting little way to, to deal with that, that actually made perfect sense within the context of the rest of the story.
2: Yeah. And I mean, especially like, uh, oh uh, I feel like this is going to be a whole point of contention. This was in the group, um, the reveal of who Taskmaster is now. And I'll say at the beginning, uh i i was always kind of curious to how they were going to pull this off because it's like they're either going to make him super complicated or super generic and then what they do is they don't even make him a him it was revealed that taskmaster is Dreykov's daughter who is severely you know wounded as a result of black widow trying to bomb him and said so he disfig- she disfigured her and now uh, her disability is that she's actually a mimic who has been brainwashed into being this deadly assassin now i heard the criticisms i get why some people are upset but here's what I will say, and I, I really want to hear your opinion about this because you and I haven't spoken one-on-one in terms of what what your thoughts were. Um, but I thought for cinematic and story purposes, I was okay with them making Taskmaster Drykov's daughter instead of making Taskmaster Tony Masterson as he was in the comics. I, I, I thought the reveal was... Was for the better.
3: I have no issue with Taskmaster having a different, um, a different secret identity, having um, being a woman, or even being who it was revealed to be. It just the only thing I didn't like about it was that, to me anyway, it felt super predictable. Because as soon as uh, Yelena Belova earlier, pretty early on in the movie, she'd said something about. Drykov's daughter or something about that that. And then as soon as we saw the flashback where we saw that Black Widow, at least she thought she did, had killed Drykov's daughter in that blast, um, I, I immediately knew, Oh, that's technically. Taskmaster. Dude, I, I didn't
2: see it coming. I'll be honest. Yeah,
3: I, 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 I didn't. Just, it's, it felt like as soon as I heard the reference and I saw that, and I, and you know, they're doing the whole thing about the one thing that you know, Black Widow. Yeah, you know, she didn't even, she didn't even actually seem to have that much guilt over killing Dreykov's daughter. She just seemed to think, well, this is what I had to do to break free and to do the right thing and to join Shield. That was the whole, uh, the whole Budapest thing that we've heard her and Hawkeye talk about in, in every movie. You know, every Avengers film. We finally know what happened in Budapest is what was when. Uh, uh, Black Widow essentially defected from S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, you could hear Hawkeye. I think she was talking to him on the comms. He didn't appear in the film. But, uh, you know, and then they, she decided to pull the trigger on this bomb that she had planted to try to kill Dreykov and didn't didn't even kill either of them, actually. It wasn't the most successful attempt, but it is how she defected to S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, as, as soon as I saw that scene and, and combining with uh, and Elena Blova had said something about Dreykov's daughter, I, just, I just immediately said, oh, yeah, that's going to be Taskmaster. So just in my mind, it, it wasn't... It that's the only problem I had with it. It it makes perfect sense in the context of the story. Um, I think it it makes extra sense actually considering the whole story. I can't really argue with it from a storytelling perspective. Maybe I've just seen too many movies, but that was my only issue. That when it when the reveal came, I just went, okay, here's his daughter, and, and it was so
2: yeah. People are trying to, I mean, people are trying to make this about two things one that oh, you know, you have another female character taking over a male character, and then the other one is, oh, well, you know, it's no different than um. Than you know the Iron Man three uh, Mandarin switcheroo with Ben Kingsley ba- playing uh, Trevor Slattery that's a little or than that. yeah I mean it's not Ralph Boner like those <laughs> no, were those were Boner. all done in like the poorest taste whereas when I saw this and just being really like s- sucked into the film I'm like okay that's in fact I actually thought it made everything a little bit more fucked up it made it made Drykov even a more sadistic person.
3: Right. And not only that, but you're using your daughter to be this, you know, the assassin and do your bidding on top of it. And she's also brainwashed on top of this whole thing. So not only has your daughter been disfigured because you put her into the, into the dangerous situation in the first place because you're an evil bastard, then you use your brainwashed, mutilated daughter to do your d- dirty work. Yeah. It, does, it, it actually it, mm. it does add to the villainy of Dreykov as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, that, that, that actor, like in terms of when we actually knew that, you know, he was a she and stuff like that, there's no acting involved. I can't say I'm impressed with the acting of Taskmaster, but I will say like, you know, the fight choreography and stuff was cool. I definitely thought that he was, he, she was a formidable villain. I will say about her performance, much like Dracov's hers was shorter in terms of when we actually got to see her act when, you know, the Red Room comes down and when uh, Red uh, I'm sorry. Black Widow is able to break Taskmaster's mind control, and like her, she's like laying down next to her on the field amongst the rubble, and she's like, "Is he dead?" Like just in in those words, the delivery and everything. It was like oh my gosh like this person is a victim. This person was a hostage in their own body forced to commit terrible atrocities by their own father. Like that was another moment where I'm like they they did a great job with how they they delivered dialogue in this film. And I don't I don't say that passively. Like they really really did a good job with
3: it. Well, one thing we haven't addressed yet, and you know, we're not really, this isn't the true review in the sense we're not going to go through the plot point by point or anything, but uh, I think the main purpose of this film and, and the grander scheme of the MCU and specifically phase four was to introduce this character, Yelena Belova played by Florence Pugh, who is essentially going to be the new black widow of sorts. What did you think of her performance? What did you think of the introduction of this character to the MCU?
2: I had low expectations, like from the commercials, like we all kind of knew that it was going in this direction, but uh, you know, I think when people actually see her performance, I don't think she's going to convince people that she's going to be this next great character. I mean, they didn't set up Florence like they tried to set up Brie Larson as like the face of the Marvel Cinematic Universe going forward. And then when everyone realizes that, you know, Brie Larson's a bitch and Carol Danvers is a terrible character on film, they kind of push her aside. I think with this one, what they did was they, they didn't raise the expectations too high. So that way, when she did kind of surpass the minimal expectations, that people had for her she did really well in, in terms of like her ability to command a scene i i definitely liked her um you know the, the other cool thing is that you know she's she, she's a little bit younger than Scarlett was when scarlet became black widow and iron man too so we we've got a good amount of time going forward with uh with this character and i mean the I, I, i gotta say it the parts where she's making fun of like black widow's uh hero landing stuff that that cracked me up so i mean she she's charming she's definitely got the chops um i i think i would definitely like to see more of this character
3: uh, well, you're absolutely going to because uh, they they set her up. Uh, she's being set up for, it seems like, a, a possibly a couple different series coming down the road. And I'm sure whatever reiteration of Avengers films we end up seeing as well. But, um, heck, we'll skip right right to it, Let's right to the post credit scene uh, when we see uh, Florence Pugh, L- Yelena Belova. By the way, something that just came up to me in my mind while you were talking about uh, Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel. What would you have thought of Florence Pugh as Captain Marvel? No. No? No. Better or worse than Brie Larson. Well, like, here's the thing. Like... Because I could see it.
2: I I don't think that Captain Marvel is the worst movie ever made. I just think that so much drama and stuff went around the film that it, it basically blurred any objectivity that people could have trying to watch it. So I think... My, okay, you know you know what my, real, what my real problem is I didn't want Carol Danvers to be Captain Marvel. I wanted Captain Marvel to be played by a male actor as the as the Kree alien Marvel, and I wanted Carol Danvers to be Miss Marvel because I've never been happy with how when when Miss Marvel became Captain Marvel, she had like a complete personality shift and stopped being Carol Danvers. Now it's like, you know, the, the whole idea of what I had with the character growing up is is like a complete 180 from what I had liked. So I just never liked the fact that they went that way in terms of how they did it. Um, so, I mean, it, I don't even think that's Brie Larson's fault. That's a fault of the writing and the directing. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, well, you know, that was that was, you know, formed in the comics. It's like, yeah, but it was also bad in the comics. Like Ms. Mar- well, Captain Marvel can't keep a solo series more than like four or five issues. No one likes no, I've her. I've
3: never enjoyed her character in the comics at all. No, even as Miss Marvel? Uh, well, actually, I don't mind her as... Uh, what, what's the name she goes by? I kind of like what they do with her in the uh, George Perez uh, Avenger. George Perez, uh, Kurt Busick. Avengers. Oh, when she's, and, like,
2: when she's like the alien? Uh,
3: she's Yeah, she has like a, some weird power thing going on with her powers, but she also is uh, has like this alcohol problem she's hiding. And then, you know, it's, it's just, yeah. that's the most interesting that I, I've ever found her character. I think
2: that, that was really, that was really kind of like the height of her. Like they, uh, when I started reading comics in like the mid two thousands, like she was in all the Avengers books and she was also like, you know, a swimsuit model. Like it was, you know, it, it you yeah, the best of both things. She's super hot and she had a personality and she could kick ass. And now with, uh, with, she was binary, with,
3: that's what she was yeah. called in that Avengers series. Binary.
2: Yeah. That, that that was her name. When she became kind of alien, like, and stuff like that was cool. So like, I don't think, uh, yeah, I, I've just, I've just never been happy with it. And it, it, it gets more complicated in that sense. I think what makes, you know, Florence Pugh good in this role was that, yeah, obviously she's stepping up to take the place of Scarlett Johansson as black widow, but it's not like they're completely replacing somebody. And that, and that was my problem with what they did with captain Marvel, where it's like, forget Marvel, He's not even here. It's Carol Danvers is Captain Marvel. It's like, no, Black Widow was here. There's a legacy here. And yeah, obviously she's going to become Black Widow, even though y- y- Yelena does not become Black Widow, even though we all know she does. It's like she's still Yelena. She so it's like you could have a both. character
3: called Black Widow, but she's she's she's, she's probably a version of it either way. You know?
2: Yeah. Like she she, she is in, in in everything but declaration right now. So it's one of those situations where it's like, you know, this is a good – this is how it should be done for legacy characters. It's like what I always liked about Miles Morales in terms of how they did the legacy handoff. It wasn't that Miles was completely replacing all memory of Peter Parker. It's that Miles Morales wanted to be a good Spider-Man to honor Peter Parker because of who Peter Parker was. And I think that's very much – you know, how the handoff in this film is. She's going to keep going and we're not just going to have the next director and writing group just completely forget that Natasha ever existed. It's the the passing of the baton in a, in a good way. And by having the film take place when it did chronologically and then having the post-credit scene take place, you know, really where, where we are currently in the MCU timeline, I thought that was done in the best way it could be done.
3: Yeah. So it, yeah, as we were saying in that post-credit scene, we, see uh, Florence Pugh, Yelena Belova go to a grave for her sister who really got shafted in uh, Avengers Endgame. You know Tony Stark gets this whole elaborate funeral with everyone you've ever seen in any movie, including the the stupid little kid from Iron Man 3. And uh, Black Widow doesn't get a damn thing, except a a quick chat by the lake. Uh, But in here, we finally do, do see that she at least does have a grave site. And we see Yelena Belova visiting it. And then suddenly, we hear... Some character blowing their nose, and it is um, not from the show South Park, <laughs> from the show Seinfeld. Uh, it is, of course, uh, the character that we already have seen in... In uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, uh, La Contessa Valentina, Allegra de Fontaine, played by Elaine from Seinfeld. Of course, that that joke uh, that joke the, you might not get if you are not on our Patreon. Uh, where on the recent Loki recap. Um Remzo here thought Julie, Julia Louis Dreyfus was some on a show called South Park or something. I don't know. You this, fuck
2: up one uh, this, time and they never let you this forget. Latin
3: Latinx millennial here who's just confusing animated <laughs> cartoons and and um, and all time great sitcoms. But either way, uh we do see the return of Julia Louis Dreyfus. Now this was actually supposed to be this character's debut originally because, like we said, this movie was supposed to come out a year ago, well before the Falcon and Winter Soldier. So this, you know, in, in the original chain of events, we would have seen her in this before we had seen her in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, so um, chronologically it may still be her debut, uh, it's hard to say exactly when that post credit scene takes place, but either way uh, it's continuing this idea that this character is building some sort of Anti Avengers, maybe pseudo Avengers, Dark Avengers. Who knows if they'd be if they'll be per se villains or if they'll just sort of be anti heroes. Uh, we shall see. But uh, we obviously already already have John Walker, U.S. agent, who was recruited by her in the Falcon and Winter Soldier, and now she has recruited not recruited. It appears it appeared from their conversation that she had actually been working uh, with uh, uh, um, Valentina. Contessa. What is her date? Her. He's just thirteen different names. Dave Val. Val. Let's call her Val. That's better. Uh, she'd been working with. Val- <laughs> <laughs> Val, it seems for some time now, so it seems that they somehow had gotten paired together, maybe sometime shortly after the Black Widow movie, and that's what she had been doing in between all this, where it's not clear if um, if Yelena Belova was snapped or not, so maybe she had been doing spy stuff for these last few years, or maybe she had been snapped away. We're not we're not quite sure yet, but either way, she has some kind of relationship with Val, which which kind of tells me she probably did not get snapped, because they seem to go way back, and there's no way they probably went back to before uh, Yelena kind of got unbrainwashed and in Black Widow. So I'm guessing that Yelena, I
2: think Marvel kind of wants to move away from the whole snap now.
3: Well, I don't know. They seem to, it it comes, it it was a huge, huge part of, of WandaVision and of Falcon and winter soldier. It seems like a lot of the, at least these early parts of of faced four have been based on the ramifications of the snap and, and what goes from there. And I, and I have a feeling the eternals and maybe even some parts of uh, elements of Shang-Chi and probably possibly even the debut of the fantastic four may still all have some connection to that story with a snap so we'll see yeah they're...
2: you're you're probably right as i think about it yeah see.
3: uh but yeah they they can't hang on this thing forever i mean we eventually we need to get into some some different storylines but you know now to reference back loki again and again you can hear all our loki recaps you can hear us recap all of the disney plus marvel shows uh on our patreon at patreon.com slash second print pod for as little it's five smackers a month uh, but uh, yeah we do have the multiverse opening up and, uh, and then the possibilities are, are quite literally endless from here but uh, well maybe I'll talk about some more of that stuff in a minute but why don't we just wrap up our thoughts on the Black Widow movie before we go on to talk about a little bit of what we've been reading lately
2: were, were, were you happy were you happy with Val showing up and Natasha's grave because I've actually got a bone to pick about how that scene was done
3: um, it was fine but yeah what what's what's your what's your beef here
2: I hate her character. No, like I, I think that it's it's a miscasting for one, but also how they have her portrayed is like it takes all, it sucks out all the seriousness she from is the almost room. Just
3: kind of... Kind of like she's playing it as Julia Louis Dreyfus from Have you ever seen the show Veep? She almost plays it like like that yeah. character, kind of like like yeah, she's in this position of power, but she's kind of goofy too. So um, I mean, I enjoy her because I'm a huge fan of the actress, but that's probably skewed by how huge of a fan of am of, of of her. Yeah,
2: but like compare compare Tony's funeral in Endgame, which was like five minutes long and it had its own track and everything, like it's really meant to be impactful. And then you have a character who. Who is almost in as many Marvel films as Robert Downey Jr. without specifically headlining them. And you would think that as a send off for not just the, the, the character, but the actor herself from the MCU, they could have at least, you know, left it a little bit somber and have Have the scene executed in a different way To have her just kind of show up sneezing And then making a joke about the midwest And stuff like that like poor Execution I've got to say like This is one of probably the worst Post credit scenes for the MCU ever I thought the worst Was the one that came after uh, Thor the dark world where you saw the The introduction of Benicio del Toro's the collector like that whole scene Was just absolute shit and Then the other one is definitely the post credit Scene for the final episode of Falcon and the Winter's Soldier, Where, you know, you have evil Sharon doing an evil villains laugh and monologue at the after leaving uh, the Capitol building. Like this is probably like in in the top five worst Marvel post credit scenes. And there aren't that many to begin with.
3: I can't say I felt uh, I, I had the same kind of a negative reaction as you did. It, it, it didn't, you know. It set up the Hawkeye show as well. So that's something. And it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, and it's just, it's further building wherever they're going with this character and this team she's building. I don't know if it's going to be a Dark Avengers or a Thunderbolts or maybe some kind of combination uh, thereof. But it does appear we are getting some sort of anti hero type uh, Avengers esque team coming. Whether that's going to be a Disney Plus show or whether that's going to be in the films, I'm not sure because they're setting it up both in the shows and the films. So it's, I really don't don't know where they're going to go with all that but uh I, I am excited about the direction of of that uh the possibilities of it whether or not you know you think she fits the character i think it's a decent argument that meant that the way she plays this character is not with the seriousness that you know maybe this the, the gravity that the character should come with but you know what can i say it works for me so I, i'm not going to get too hung up on it but uh why don't we give a uh, give some grades to this film you know we we always do the five and the five for comics five for the art five for the story why don't we kind of do i don't know five for the uh, directing and visual effects five for the, the story itself. Um, you want to take it away?
2: Yeah. So for story, I, I mean, it's, uh, it's nothing like super spectacular, it was done in a way which makes sense as a standalone film and as the next chapter in the Marvel Cinem- Cinematic Universe. It's uh, it's definitely one of the better solo films. I can probably say like, I like this more than any of the Spider-Man films. I like this more than any of the Ant-Man films. Uh, it almost makes me wish that maybe... We could see, you know, maybe in some other way, another Black Widow film one day. I'm not saying set her up for whole trilogy, but you know, if I was ever like, yeah, you know, give that film a sequel, this would probably be it. I'm gonna give it a four out of five for special effects and everything. I mean, it, it was downgraded in scope because of the genre. It was kind of fitting. It reminded me in many ways of how they executed uh, Captain America: The Winter Soldier back in 2014. So I was really impressed with the fact that once again they were able. Able to sh- shape it into a genre film it was very much in league of like a jason bourne type of thing visual effects and everything was really cool i thought the execution of how they did the red room uh was was pretty menacing. And I I have to say, I loved the opening sequence where, um, they, 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 they spun, uh, that one song by Nirvana. That was, that was pretty cool. So I got to say for like opening sequences, it's probably one of my favorite Marvel opening sequences in the film, because it it lets you know, like, yeah, you think, you know, what's going on, but this is not just another Marvel film. It, I, I I liked that. So I'm also going to give the special effects and all that stuff, a four out of five, I'm going to give black widow a eight out of 10.
3: All right. Well, Smells Like Team Spirit was, quote unquote, that Nirvana song. But yeah, that was an, yes. that was an awesome rendition of it. And it, the, yeah, I think the open was, uh, like you said, one of the, probably one of, if not the best opens to a Marvel movie uh, that I've seen. Um, I'm going to say, let's see, story-wise, I'm going to say, I'm going to give it a three and a half. I think it was very good, above average. I liked it. It compelled me. You know, it's just there's aspects of it that you know, I never felt surprised. I never felt, I never at one point during the, the unfolding of the, the story went, oh my god, holy crap, I can't believe they did that. So it, it felt, you know, I don't I don't want to quite say formulaic. I think it was wasn't necessarily formulaic, but it also just didn't wow me with, you know, the kind of I, I, I'd like to, I, I would like at least one moment in a Marvel film where I say, oh damn, didn't see that coming. And I can't really say I had that in, the, in this film. Um, so, but uh, but you know, it was a good story and it was a compelling story and it did what it needed to do and it set up things that it needed to set up and it it gave Scarlett Johansson uh, a nice send off. Uh, you know, finally getting her own film, getting her own due uh, as this character that she's she's played in so many different films as you know a, a second or third tier part of the film. Uh, she deserved to have this moment and I, and I think she did did a great job um, as what is presumably her last Marvel film. Who knows? We have multiverses. We have uh, alternate realities. We have so many different ways. And of course, we have. Because comics, so she could always come back, but uh, for now, it, it, it is her send off, and I think she did a, did a good job in it. Um, I guess I'm transitioning here a little bit to uh, the acting. Did I did I did I grade the story? I'm giving the story a 3.5 uh, overall, and then yeah. uh, yeah, and then um, as tar- in terms of the, the the visual effects, I guess we'll include the acting in here. I thought everything was excellent, I mean, very well done. Um, I, I can't really complain too much about it, especially I, I think the acting, I think the entire cast, all of all of the um, the the uh, you know, Black Widow fans Family, you might say, was was just perfectly cast. Uh, this, the guy that played Drykov was just phenomenal. Uh, it was it was a very well cast and a very well produced film, as you would expect uh, from Marvel Studios from Disney. You're gonna get top notch production quality because they're spending tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars on this. So of course it's gonna it's gonna look good. Um, you know you know at the same time you know it's, it's not 2001 Space Odyssey. So I'm gonna give it a four there for the uh, the directing, visuals, acting. We'll, we'll kind of all lump that into one category. So that gives me a total of seven and a half which I would say pretty good movie you should watch it Uh, I think you'll enjoy it um it's not one of the best Marvel movies. It's probably not even in my top 10, but I think of the standalone type films, the ones that aren't necessarily you don't you don't need to watch them. You could understand the whole, you know, the whole unfolding of the general story of these movies without. And I would say this is one that you could, you know, do without in terms of needing it for the grander scope of things. I would say in that category of film, it probably is one of one of the better ones. I would definitely rank it over probably over above uh, above Captain Marvel um probably over um I don't know if I'd quite rank it above Ant-Man and the Wasp but I really thought that was good but I'd probably rank it over the original Ant- Ant-Man um and probably a couple other movies obviously over the the Incredible Hulk. Ooh, I I, don't,
1: I shouldn't say I don't, obviously. I've seen I actually Incred- like Incredible I've Hulk seen,
3: than
2: I've I've than- seen Incredible Hulk so many times. I've I've got such a I've, I'm such a I'm such a white knight for that movie.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, in fairness, I really only saw it the once, like not that long after it came out. So it's, it's probably due for a rewatch for me with, with some fresh eyes.
2: You'll 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 definitely come to appreciate a lot more things. Like really, that's one of the most Easter egg filled Marvel films that that are really out there. And people are like, no, it's not. Then they go back and watch, and they're like, holy fuck, it was. It sets up a lot. But uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely definitely i am happy i saw this in theaters i am
3: as well yeah I, I mean i'm sure it would have been fine on the tv but uh, i'm you know I'm, I'm glad i didn't wait six months or pay thirty dollars to watch it on my tv instead i got to see it at a at an awesome cinema in, a, in mexico city so uh, no regrets i would say you now it's still out now it'll probably be out for a while i'd say if you're gonna see it i would recommend seeing it in the theaters especially you know for the visual effects the the grand scope of the things i think this is the kind of movie to me you, you do want to see once in the theater if you're a fan of, the, of this kind of film
2: Well, Mark, to kind of wrap things up, uh, this has been a big month for new debuts for a lot of series coming back. Uh, we saw issue three of Berserker recently. We, we're getting another issue of uh, The Last Ronin from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, crossover's still going on, and we even saw the debut of the new ninjack issue one. Um, some, of our fa- some of our fans over in the Sega Pro Comics fan zone are actually, I think they've convinced me to at least give it a shot since I've basically written off uh, Valiant for the year. But uh, I, I got to say, from the last time we did a big, you know, what we're reading comic book episode, not much has changed. If anything, the list is probably a little bit narrow because I was doing a lot of limited series then. And it seems like I'm still reading some limited series. And I know from earlier saying I'm done with Marvel, uh, I might sound like a, like a, you know I'm juxtapositioning myself now, but like there is one last issue of a Marvel series as a limited series that I I need to grab just so at least that way I can I can end it and you know look cleanly. How fast, move look on. how fast
3: the principles break. Well, I just <laughs> gotta finish this one. I just series, can't quit so. you, Marvel. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it is. Uh, it's by Chip Zdarsky, and I, I've been a big fan of Chip Zdarsky for over the past uh, two years now. He wrote the Stillwater comic series over at Image, which was like a like a sleeper hit. Like more people have read that than I imagined, and this wasn't necessarily one that was like highly promoted. Didn't win any awards or anything, but everyone that read it was like, "This is fucking good." Um, he also went ahead and did a recent run on Daredevil at Marvel that people also uh, apparently really liked. I, I haven't read Daredevil since uh, Mark. Wade left in 2014, 2015. But, uh, you know, so far he he's written his first Spider-Man book. It's a limited series based in the what if universe, which meant, you know, it's not part of the, the main canon. It's just a what if story. And basically it's called Spider-Man, Spider-Shadow. And it's a five part series. Uh, four issues have come out so far where it basically it asks the question, what if Peter Parker intentionally allowed the black symbiote suit to turn him into Venom. And in many ways, like they've kind of teased this before in like television and comics and stuff like that. Uh, I was already kind of like, uh, well, will, will, will it be that original? But Chip Zdarsky really wanted people to know that this is a horror story. And so far in the four issues I've read, like they've really uh, laid that this is not just another Spider-Man book. This is not just a Spider-Man what if type of story where it's going to be kind of resolved kind of cleanly like this is kind of a freaky book. Uh, in, in all the best ways And I think it's it's really refreshing Because somebody who's a big Spider-Man fan I haven't necessarily been impressed with Spider-Man for a while I like Superior Spider-Man uh, When Doc Ock was around I read Miles Morales the Spider-Man For about a dozen issues Until it became just a bit repetitive And I haven't read the main Amazing Spider-Man comic series for probably a decade now. So, you know, it's uh it, it's it's nice to get back into Spider-Man without having to worry about catching up with too much. That's what I love about these what if stories. It's taking a story from when I was just a kid and what I read when I was a teenager and it's giving it a really fresh twist on the question of what if Spider-Man actually just became evil all of a sudden it's really good and i i think if uh folks want to go ahead and grab it i I won't say that it's not worth collecting a single issues i've definitely enjoyed doing that but when this comes out as a trade back uh if you're looking for something to add to your library i don't think you'll be disappointed with this grab
3: well speaking of venom uh one series that i just wrapped up was uh men in black uh, not men, in, not Men in Black. That, that's that's what <laughs> I was Tommy, about to say. Uh, King in Black, King and Black. I should say. Uh, I could go for a, a Men in Black, King in Black crossover. What do you think? <laughs> T- that would Tom, be Tommy, awesome. Get Tommy Lee Jones in there. And Will Smith battle the symbiotes. <laughs> I'm all in for that. But no, this was uh King in Black. Uh, the the God that would be very appropriate if you think about I, it. I want this movie. I'm pretty sure Sony owns <laughs> all that stuff. So let's see it. Will Smith's down. Um, yeah, so yeah, this series wrapped up in, you know, I would say absurd fashion, but absurd, epic, fun fashion. And, uh, you know, Donny Cates is one of the, the only reasons I probably will be buying some Marvel books going forward. I am enjoying his Thor as well. Uh, but this just wrapped up in a way that, um, you know, maybe it was a little bit over the top, but I mean, we saw basically Venom turn into a god. Essentially, uh, at one point, he has uh, Thor's hammer and Captain America's shield and all the Venom powers, and uh, he, he is able to uh, defeat the the uh, the King in Black, the uh, the man, the man, the creature, the being that invented the the uh, the All Black, which is also what you know became the symbiotes. Uh, the All Black is also the weapon used by Gore, the God Butcher. So this is a, a character. Character that Donny Cates has worked into a lot of different things over the years and it really has been a culmination of, of several years of storytelling that started it, during his Venom run here and um, it was I, I think it was completed in somewhat satisfactory fashion. what's going to be interesting to see is where things go from here with the Venom character uh, because Venom by the end of this thing is essentially like I said turned into a god he is he essentially is the new king in black he is the king of the symbiotes and essentially has like the power of all symbiotes that have ever existed so uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with this character who has been really amped up to a level that we've never seen before and um, I believe interestingly enough um, that they I think they're doing basically a swap so uh, the, the Immortal Hulk by Al Ewing is, is going to be wrapping up and I've really been enjoying that series as well That's the, the other book from Marvel that, I, that I've really liked over these last months uh, that's going to be wrapping up and Al Ewing is going to be moving over to take over Venom which should be really interesting and I, I believe I could be wrong I, I think Donny Cates might be going over to do a new Incredible Hulk book. Um, I might have a double check check, check on, that, on that. But uh, but I do know that Al Ewing is hopping over to do to take over Venom, which, which should be really interesting because you've got a whole new super-powered version of Venom, more powerful than we've ever seen. He is the new king in black. Uh, he has the full power of all the, the symb- symbiotes in the universe, basically. Uh, but now he's being taken over by Al Ewing, who essentially turned the Hulk uh, through a mortal Hulk into a horror comic, a True horror comic, uh, a unique book, unlike anything we've seen from Marvel in, in since I can remember, really. I mean, it's truly one of the more unique books that I've ever read uh, from a mainstream comic book company, anyhow. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited to see what Al Ewing uh, coming off this uh, Immortal Hulk run does when he's uh, handed the keys to Venom.
2: Yeah, that's... That's a character that I, I like. I, I love Venom, but it's always been so weird, especially since we live in the era of Disney basically using the the comics to become like cheap commodities for the films. It's like Marvel really wanted to distance itself from the Venom movie. while at the same time, really propping up the Venom comic, whereas, you know, with Fantastic Four, like. Marvel literally killed that title for like five years. And we didn't even see the characters really anywhere. Uh, and they did that intentionally to to deprive Fox of stuff. And then, you know, not only did Marvel really mess around with the X-Men in order to elevate the Avengers, but I mean, mean, they turned
3: the X-Men into villains for, for several years. Well, they did,
2: but like what's even more egregious is like the, the toy line that makes for a lot of the merchandise sales for these films. Like They never did action figures for like the last uh, four or five um, X-Men films. And then as soon as Disney acquired Fox, they did this, this whole like, uh, you know, re-release of all the Fox X-Men era action figures only because now it really suits Marvel to make money from that merchandising capability. So it's kind of weird because they've tried to strangle the IP power out of the films by impacting toys, comics, statues, other merchandise. Whereas it's like with Venom, they've really let it become their most popular book.
3: Yeah. And rightfully so. Yeah, Donny Cates has done just wonders uh, turning that character around. Not that he really needed turning around. It's his has been a fairly well handled, well uh, and popular character. But he really took Venom to a new level and made it uh, a must uh, must read book. And I did confirm he is actually taking over the Hulk along with Ryan Otley from Invincible, old artist from Invincible. So that should be an interesting. All right, he's done the Spider Man, so. um... I'm so I'm so I'm pissed at him. He made Connie that Marvel stupid, completely uh, like you because he made I can't that. St- resist
2: he that made book. that stupid. He made that stupid blue and silver Spider-Man costume that they said was going to be around forever. And Now they got rid of it after three months, and they're bringing in another one. Like I like Otley as an artist. I think they've allowed him a little bit too much liberties lately. And the
3: man just draws what he's told.
2: Uh, Maybe if he could draw a hot She-Hulk, I'll forgive him.
3: <laughs> You'll forgive anyone that can draw you a hot She-Hulk.
2: Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. All
3: right, so what what else have you been reading? Um you know for me like I like I said I mostly most of my Marvel reading goes on in that the Marvel Unlimited app. It's only only the rare occasion when I check out one of the newer books, but I have been checking out a couple newer books from DC out of pure interest, and um, two of those books, uh, well, we talked about Crime Syndicate uh, la- last time we did one of these. I don't need to get too much into that. I- I've still been checking that out as well, but the ones I want to mention today, I've been reading Infinite Frontier. Just had the first two issues of that come out uh, as well as I just today, the day we're recording this, it came out. already picked it up. I checked out The new issue of, I think it's a four-issue series called Superman and the Authority from Grant Morrison.
2: That one is is getting a lot of buzz right now, especially in a year where everyone thought that Superman was going to be one of the less popular uh, characters. We're getting uh, Superman going off world in action comics this August, but we're also getting uh, Superman, son of kal which follows his son Jonathan being written by uh, Tom Taylor, probably one of my favorite writers out there right now. So uh, th- this is so this is this is out of continuity, right? This is like an Elseworlds story.
3: I don't know. That's what I'm trying to figure out, and I was huh. hoping he have some answers for me. I don't think it's out of continuity though, because um, well, at the at the end of Inf- Inf- Infinite Infinite Frontier, part of Infinite Frontier is this guy uh, Doctor Bones is leading this investigation. Into the, everything that happened with the multiverse um, in death metal, like after death metal, pe- basically people are aware of the multiverse. People know about it. Certain heroes know about it, and uh, you know Bones is investigating this whole thing because everything matters. Cause everything matters, um, which I actually am <laughs> finding to be an interesting aspect of Infinite Up Frontier. We can talk about more more of that in a minute. But um, at the end of each issue, they show this list that Mister Bones has of mysteries he's investigating, and one of them says, "Why did the Superman have a new?" is leading a new team of the authority so it seems to me like it's in continuity and like you said everything matters so it's in continuity somewhere either way um what what confuses me about this and maybe you can clue me in on because i know you've been reading more of the bendis superman i have actually gone back as well this week i read the original um when bendis first took over superman that original man of steel miniseries i did read that one Mm -hmm. didn't blow me away didn't dislike it either i just it didn't it didn't blow anyone away. It was away. okay. It was <laughs> fine. It was interesting but not, you know, I I I'm not necess- It was not necessary. I don't know if gonna go I'll forward say with that. It. You know, it didn't didn't suck me in that much. Um it, it was it was not a necessary but, series. Uh, but maybe you can tell cuz I know you've been following Bendis and everything with Superman more than I have. So maybe you can tell me what's going on here, but it, Superman is depowered to an extent now, is that correct?
2: Yeah, so in in uh, in in the recent Superman titles. So, Superman Action Comics. In the past year, he has willingly revealed his identity to that the I world know, as yep. Clark Kent, but there's also something going wrong with him eternally. He's been uh, he he went up, up against a villain called the, um, the 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 Red Cloud or something like that, who could basically manage to poison Superman. In fact, she almost killed a uh, Connor Kent Superboy in one issue. Um, he's been unable to save some of his friends. So like the, the former mayor of the city, as well as a few daily planet employees were also killed, uh, by this character. And it's been part of this crime organization running in. In Metropolis, I think they just call themselves the Mafia. And uh, at the same time, you've also had Leviathan, who has been kind of pushed aside, but he keeps coming around. Basically, um, Leviathan is in charge of this giant organization called Event Leviathan. And he's also been slowly just trying not to kill Superman, but just to make him as tired and winded as possible. So Superman has been through some pretty severe trials. I would almost say that unintentionally, this kind of follows kind of like a nightfall type of situation and then very recently he fought some like kryptonite laced demons from the phantom zone and it, it got so bad that jonathan uh who had spent some time in the future with the legion of superheroes was told in a potential reality that this was the moment that his dad was supposed to die luckily he saved him but but it was very very close so Something is going on with Superman where he's just not able to retain as much of his power and strength as he used to. And what they're trying to do now is they're really trying to show that Superman is older. He's been around since, you know, if you really want to think about like the 30s, like I don't think DC thinks that the future of Superman is in Kal-El Clark Kent. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to basically separate the idea of what is the next stage of Clark Kent while still maintaining some of the vigor of the Superman name. So basically there's this idea that Superman Clark Kent is going to go off world and do more off world journeys while Clark. Uh, Jonathan, his son, who's now an adult because of time travel comic book shit, is now going to basically step in as his father's successor in Metropolis. We got this teased very much, um, you know, before Death Metal and during Future State, they really did solidify that you know, Jonathan is going to fulfill his father's shoes, but you also have this, you know, you still have a future for Clark Kent. It's going to start getting kind of weird with some of his off world journeys and stuff like that. So, um, this is probably the most unique stage to be a DC reader because I can actually say for the first time, and I really do thank Bendis for this. He really set the stage for it. Um, the future of Superman is actually, not very clear for the first time in terms of where the stories and the characters are taking him. So if you're a Superman fan, but you've always thought the comics were kind of repetitive, I would say this is probably the best time to get into it. I, I actually subscribe to the uh, print subscription through DC for Superman, son of L. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in it for the long haul.
3: Yeah. Well, it, it does seem this is in the current continuity because all of that is happening. And, uh, you know, in, in this, uh, it, it's it, w- one thing that really confused me. You mentioned Superman's been around a long time and he's older and he looks older. He even has like some gray hair on his sides now. And in the beginning, they show him talking to President Kennedy in, the, in 1963. And so and I, and I was thinking, like, so is this is this a, is he supposed to have been around since 1963? Because that really doesn't make sense, because then no. Lois Lane would be like 180 years. old. You know, that, that doesn't make any sense at all. Or, But they also mentioned it seemed like maybe that had been time travel. So was there a point where he had time traveled and stopped in 1963 and talked to John F. Kennedy? I don't know. I was really
2: confused. By it. So so I actually I, I actually do think I know a little bit about this. I read this through an article through CBR. Uh, you're going to find out where it takes place. And we don't know whether or not it's taking place in an alternate timeline or whether or not it's taking place in another world within the multiverse. But there's strong inclinations that this is – Either kingdom come Superman or it's another type of kingdom come Superman, because we're already going to see the kingdom come logo with, you know, the the black and the red. So we know that that's not what current Superman is wearing. And we also know that current Superman doesn't have the great the great temples yet. So that's why I would lean on this is not in continuity
3: or maybe it is because everything's in continuity. So
2: everything matters. And when everything matters, nothing well, does whatever,
3: maybe it's not in main DCU continuity. Maybe it is, but it's definitely being referenced as part of this overarching storyline that yes, is leading to another crisis because it's already being referenced in Infinite Frontier. Um, But basically now everything through that story centers around the existence of the multiverse the public knows about the multiverse. And it's a thing. It's a thing we talk about. There's also the justice (laughs) incarnate, uh, which is led by Calvin Ellis, the uh, black president, Superman from earth 23. And they are basically like the defenders of the multiverse. So watching over everything um, as part of this, we also see that guess who's still around it's Thomas Wayne, Flashpoint, Batman is still around. Someone has captured him from this Earth, taken him off, and uh, shot him away in this ship. And he was found by Calvin Ellis and the Justice Incarnate. So they're kind of chatting about what's going on there. Um, we also have nobody, nobody, nobody. Tell Tom. There's King. a lot going
1: on. Um, <laughs> we
3: also have uh, we have Barry Allen, who is you know basically Wally West is now like the Flash of Earth, doing regular superhero stuff. Uh, back as the Flash as he should be. While Barry Allen is like multiverse Flash, kind of hopping through the multiverse, just checking things out. And uh, he happens upon some planet that, uh, you know, one of the the various seeds we see here is that there is a villain, a villain that we all know very well, who is being built up to make a big return, and that villain is spoiler alert, Darkseid, because they have several references to Darkseid in the first issue. We see um, that, that you know uh, the Flash has stumbled upon some planet in the multiverse that it, that has, seems like has some kind of like Omega something or other about it. Uh, whereas at the same time on Earth, we see a couple characters. Um, first, f- first we see the return of uh, Speedy. What's his name? He was Speedy. He was Arsenal. Roy Harper. Impulse Roy Harper. Oh, yeah. oh, I thought he was yeah. killed in Heroes and Crisis which we should all pretend never ever happened. Uh and now he is back. Um but he's actually back in an interesting way. He is back because he is a Black Lantern. That's cool now black lanterns cool. are basically lanterns that come from the dead and because they're powered by these black lanterns uh we don't know why he doesn't know why he's like is this thing why i'm back like wow i'm a black lantern now like so he he knows he died and he knows he's back because he has this black lantern doesn't exactly know why um but also if you have not read this series well i already spoiled a bunch of stuff for you but um stop right now if you haven't read this series because i'm going to spoil even more stuff um There you go. Stop now. I'm back. Um, And uh, basically, at the end of the second issue, um, we see a couple reveals of Darkseid. One of them is that while Roy Harper has his his Black Lantern ring, he is kind of freaking out and he starts like hearing this voice. And then you hear the Darkseid is, and so you know basically, and and Darkseid is basically calling to this ring. So somehow, Darkseid is controlling these this Black Lantern ring that has resuscitated Roy Harper. So. Oh, is that is that the anti-life equation? I don't know. Uh, I, I don't. I, I never knew that there was a correlation. Or I don't know if there ever was a four between like the anti-life equation and the Black Lantern thing. I think that those are all, have always been separate. Well, things.
2: well, no, nobody tell nobody tell Mister Miracle. He'll start cutting himself again. Oh God, don't need that.
3: No, please put the <laughs> blades away, Mister Miracle. Put them away, Scott. Everything's gonna be okay. Um, but um, be Tom King,
2: does that make this an explicit episode? <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, but yeah, and then also we see Captain Adam. Now uh, they, they reveal that Captain Adam died. Did that happen in Death Metal? I don't remember. But but they say like this one character who's um,
2: man. I'm so I'm so confused about so many things. Like technically Batman is dead, but he's not dead.
3: When did Batman die?
2: he died at some point in death oh, yeah, metal and back, that's he was why a black he had a black... too
3: in death metal right like
2: so that, that yeah so did they like reset that it's like okay he's alive yeah, I think now whatever
3: happened at the end of death metal reset a bunch of things like brought back a bunch of characters that that's basically what part of what they say in infinite frontier like
2: yeah because what's co- what's confusing is like you know we see we see like zombie roy harper during death metal and now he's back as a black lantern well we also saw zombie alfred because alfred was dead or are we gonna see Black Lantern Alfred? Because I would pay money for I'm that doubt. shit. I
3: mean, we know he's gonna come back at some point. You know,
2: you're not gonna keep Alfred. Oh yeah, they back. have to bring him back. Yeah.
3: yeah. Apparently, Tom King didn't even want Alfred to die. That was actually an editorial decision. He well, he he, won. he wrote he wrote that part of the story, but he was gonna have it be like a fake or something. But then DC editorial said, no, actually, we want to we're gonna keep Alfred dead for a while. So.
2: No wonder Tom King is so pissed <laughs> at everyone. <laughs> they made me kill Alfred. Please
3: let me finish
2: my Batman and Catwoman series this decade, please. <laughs>
3: but yeah, at the end, I will say I am I am finding Infinite Frontier interesting. It's it's giving me enough interesting elements. Oh yeah, to continue the Black uh, the Captain Adam uh, Captain Adam uh, yeah Captain Adam thread. Uh, I will just continue spoiling the issue. Uh, he like this uh, one investigator who's like working with Doctor Bones. I forget who she is. I think she works for like something PD Metropolis PD or something. And uh, she is is questioning the the Captain Adam, and she's like hey you remember that time that uh we did this thing and he's like oh yeah i remember that she's like bullshit we never met and he's like oh yeah and she's like oh because you're from a different earth right he's like okay you got me i'm from an alternate earth uh but then something starts happening to him and he rips his chest open and you hear the dark side is and you see this like weird thing happening to him so he's also this version of Captain Atom is also seemingly being controlled by Darkseid so this is all building up to some new crisis event which is being referenced a lot to something else with the multiverse which we are now seeing all the time the various Earths like it's just a part of the, the universe now we have our Earth Prime or Earth Zero and we have all these other Earths too where we have you know characters like Captain Carrot live and you know we have a uh, Calvin Ellis Superman and you know the d- different versions of different, different characters Aquaman on Aquawoman is on Earth 11 instead of Aquaman uh, the Crime Synod kid of course is on earth uh, three i think so you have the multiverse and it's all happening and and again they're leading to another kind of crisis event that i believe is probably going to involve dark side (sighs) somehow controlling black lanterns and if it sounds like too much it's because it is and it's dc but i am actually enjoying it and it's it's they've they've done enough to interest me in in where it's going where it actually goes
2: man I cannot financially recover from another crisis event. Well,
3: no, because you—you you
2: bought like still, every spinoff of death metal. Like I that. am still recovering financially from death metal a year and a half Imagine ago. Put
3: all that money into one share of GameStop
2: instead. Um, I mean, I probably get a steal at this point for for those issues to go ahead and cash out and get GameStop stock. But like, um, I I. I, I I'm excited to see what the next big event is. I felt like a uh, endless winter, like nobody fucking bought that. I felt like future state. Uh, you know,
3: I couldn't tell you one thing about it.
2: It, it, it happened.
3: That's the only thing. Yeah.
2: And then like Future State like, you know, Death Metal had taken like everyone's money, so when Future State came out, it's like people were like, I'm I'm not I, I, I wanna do this, but I don't feel like I I can do this. And you know, for for them to start setting up the seeds for this now, it's like I'm already looking at my wallet and I'm like, Well am I gonna have to cut? Or am I just going to have to wait for this to come out and trade back or maybe buy single issues later? Like this uh, if it's happening within the next year, I could definitely tell you, even though my list is shrunk, uh, me and a lot of other collectors are probably going to have to abstain from collecting these things upon release like. I, I almost feel like with Infinite Frontier, like I it, this was another series where I, I got the paper subscription because you actually saved on the cost per issue. You saved like a buck fifty. But it's like with, with some of these things, with, with Infinite Frontier, it's a larger book. You're getting more story for your buck. But do you think this will be a a story that ages well long term? Because they're really kind of making this like a shorter version of their uh, 52 series where after the events of Final of uh, I'm sorry, of Infinite Crisis, you had a new cheaper comic come out every week leading up to Final Crisis. Do you think that this is something kind of like that attempt?
3: Uh, It's hard to say because this is a monthly book. This does feel like it's a a slow build. This doesn't feel like it is the event. This just feels like it's laying the seeds for the event. And I'm not sure how many issues this is slated for. I feel like it's six. Uh, So we're going to get this spread out over time here. And it it seems like DC is kind of letting things simmer right now uh, while they slowly build us up to something else. And, you know... Like, this is DC's thing. Every once in a while, they got to have a big crisis event, reset things, and whatever. Maybe this is coming too soon after they just did this in Death Metal and then just have. They got to
2: reset the reset. I don't
3: know if they're going to reset the reset, but they're building to something, and frankly. If you're going to you know, kind of have a, a new era... I can't
2: do another DC Rebirth, <laughs> Mark. I just can't.
3: Well, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a reset in that way. I, I don't think it is. I do think they're going to kind of stick with this multiverse thing. Like, everything matters. We have all these different Earths. We've had these different timelines. What I'm curious is... How is Doomsday Clock going to fit back into this, and will it? Because I kind of, oh gosh, I damn, I still it. think it might, and that's the weird thing. I, th- I don't know. It's really hard to. to is Doctor oh, Manhattan alive? I'm not sure. But they still reference. <laughs> sometimes other books still seem to reference like the Doctor Manhattan being involved in this universe, but it doesn't seem to have affected the things we've seen yet. So it it it, it seems like. I don't know. I saw the theory that Doomsday Clock did happen in continuity, but it didn't happen yet because it 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 wouldn't have made sense for it to happen yet based on what? the other things. But I don't know. Maybe it's just totally out of continuity, but it's it is referenced and it is a continuation of Rebirth, so it's really and they they talk about the button and all that stuff is in there, so it's like it's referencing direct events that are in this DC continuity, but then it doesn't seem to quite match up with everything we've seen with Death Metal and and Future Slate. but I don't know. So maybe this somehow will I just bring want this back to. Us. I just
2: want I just want Black Adam to be a bad guy again. I just
3: want to. I just want a flowchart. Can we can bring Jonathan <laughs> Hickman into, the, into this? Can he flowchart me the whole history of D.C. over the last 10 years? That would be helpful.
2: He will. But he'll make it more complicated in the process. Are you willing? Are you willing to have Flashpoint,
3: that happen? I don't know. Maybe. Depends on how much I hate myself. Uh, Flashpoint was about t- was 10 years ago. Flashpoint was 10 years ago. How much has DC been through in 10 years? We had Flashpoint, which reset things and brought in the new 52. And then five years later, we had Rebirth, which was another reset, but was also continuing the new 52, but also sort of brought back was something before the new 52. And then we had somewhere in the middle there, we ended up getting Doomsday Clock, which felt like it kind of changed things but also seemed like it wasn't quite even in our current continuity but also was referencing the old continuity that included Dr. Manhattan so we're still not sure what happened there and then Death Metal just two years later reset the whole thing again and now here we are about to re-crisis this whole thing again so I don't know but I can't lie. I'm a sucker for this stuff. I'm a sucker for DC big I events. I love all of it. I, I mean, I am. I'm not like you. I will not buy every single spinoff. Like I, I, I draw a line. But I'll, I'll. It'll be. It's always hard for me to resist the main story. If it's something major that affects the way, that affects continuity, that affects. However we view the grander scope of the D I'm a grander scope guy, Remzo. That's what I am. I liked to understand the grander scopes of continuity and I'm just a sucker for these big books that address it. And DC's done things totally different than Marvel. Marvel just kind of goes with the flow and sort of incorporates the old into the new. doesn't really do resets per se, although they, they kind of did that ish with secret wars a few years ago. Um, whereas DC, they just keep trying to fix things, but Hey, at least they do it through a story. At least they address these different continuities. And, uh, you know, I appreciate the attempt as a continuity nerd. I appreciate the attempt as convoluted as it can often be to fix and explain away the differences in continuities. Uh, At least it's like it's like they're talking to me, the nerdiest parts of me. So I, I always do enjoy that. And I'll always be a sucker for it. So, you know, you got my money. Here you go.
2: Yeah, I, I think just long term, DC is going to continue to just take more and more money away from Marvel. I mean, really, it's only the Star Wars comics that are keeping them pretty cash heavy right now. Uh, I think with Spider-Man, Spider-Man with with some of the new creative team is, is going to do better come end of 2021 on to 2022. But I mean, really, uh, you know, going back to what you were saying about King and black earlier, King and black was Marvel's most successful big crossover event in probably, uh, five, six years. And that's still not really saying much because come issue two, three of, uh, King and black, uh, anticipation, excitement really died down. So by the time it ended, a lot of people forgot it was still even the thing.
3: I did feel it was a little too long. It felt anticlimactic by the end. It felt like there was about three true filler issues where they're just stretching out the battle with every hero they can and not really. Oh, and,
2: and crossover issues, crossover oh, issues like no, barely I don't, I don't they, those them. barely sold. The, the, those sold less than uh, Empire. So many from like a year issues. ago. It
3: was, it was like King and Black Thunderbolts, King and Black Namor. I mean, if there was a character, they slapped King in the Black on the front and, and put out a crossover issue.
2: Yeah, so I mean, I I think with Marvel, with just you know, poor poor storytelling, and I mean, it's not—I'm not going after certain writers. Like, I'm certainly not going after Al Ewing. I'm certainly not going after Donnie Cates. But just I mean, Marvel editorial, like they're—they're really—they're really really losing a lot of faith in people. I think, uh, you know, definitely this is this is DC's time to thrive, especially since they've—they've got they've got a series that is really making, you know, new strides for them. They've got their, their title, uh, down to just really a dozen or so during the month, wonder woman, uh, Superman, Batman, and their prospective family of titles. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, I, I don't know about you, Mark, but like, I'm looking at the next like six months towards the end of the year and I don't really see myself collecting anything more than what i Well, I'm pretty much holding on to right now.
3: No, I'm pretty much the same. I mean, everything I talked about just now is pretty much what I'm reading along with. I'm still going to be following crossover uh, as well as Geiger. Um, both of those, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know much to add over the, you know, when I talked about in the last time I, I enjoy them both and I'm curious to see where they continue to go. But, uh, yeah. And then I, I'll probably continue following, continue to follow crime, saying to with DC. Uh, I'll see where the Superman, and the, and the authority is going. It's, it's interesting enough for me to continue to check out. Uh, and then, Oh, one thing I wanted to mention is part of infinite frontier. You mentioned it earlier, how this could be kingdom come Superman. And cause he's a little bit older, uh, and one scene in infinite frontier, I, I, I was going to ask, do you want me to spoil this for you? But I pretty much have spoiled the, the whole just issue do it. at this point. Just do so it. It's, it's too late. The question should have been asked a long time ago. Uh, we do get an appearance. Nah, so I don't know if I want to spoil this for you. I fucking All do right. it. Uh, we, we do get an appearance on Earth 23 from Magog. And uh, he he has seen. Gosh, uh, damn it. I wish you hadn't <laughs> told me that. <laughs> <laughs> you made me. You made me do it. You made me do well, it. Well, now
2: now I'm really excited well, for it. Right? I won't I freaking tell love you that what guy. Else happens? I'll just say you see Magog. No, now now you just have to just 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 do it. I mean, it.
3: you don't see a lot from him, but but you know Calvin Ellis references him, and he obviously knows who he is. It's it's him and Thomas Wayne Batman that that that, that end up encountering Magog. So what a what a trio that is! Calvin Ellis Superman, Man, Thomas Wayne Batman. A, and any any
2: opportunity to get the cable of the DC universe in the story, I'm happy about. I, mean, hey,
3: I, I marked out when I saw him. I was like, really, and then. And there was an interesting line because Calvin Ellis said, "Oh, he's supposed to be reformed because, of course, at the end of Kingdom Come, he they he is reformed. Uh, he turns himself in. But then he also says, like, who knows if this reset of the multiverse you know put him back to his old ways or something like that. So you now there maybe Magog is a character that we're going to see come into this whole continuity. So, you know, if- I would like to see him in the Justice League versus Black Adam. Hey, I'm down. That that would be I'm down cool. for whatever they want to do. They want to bring me a little Magog. I- I'm I'm totally in. Give Magog a black lantern and have him be controlled by Darkseid. Just bring oh, it all together. Wow. Why not?
2: that would be epic
3: so i i'm curious that dc is doing enough interesting things and i've heard some good things actually about what james tiny has been doing uh, over with batman i've heard some good things about the joker series i haven't checked them out because I, I can't read everything out there but uh I, i've definitely liked a few of uh, of what i've seen from dc uh whereas marvel it feels like i don't care so much about the direction of the company there's just a couple books that have kept my interest and i i definitely i think i will it will be reading that Donnie kate's hulk and that al, al ewing venom uh other than that that there's really and probably donny cage's thor i will continue with but other than that i don't don't see reading too much marvel whereas dc i'm willing to sort of pick and choose based on what seems to uh, catch my interest
2: Do do you feel and and I know we're running close on time, but do you feel like with Marvel, it's less the title specifically and it's more like the writers like, well, you follow Donny Cates or Al Ewing because of them and where they go. Yeah, that's quite
3: literally what I'm doing. I'm just following them to each other's books. Uh, So, yeah, it's it's absolutely about the writers with Marvel, whereas DC, I mean, I mean, of course, the the uh, the existence of Grant Morrison on the Superman, the authority book. I don't know if I would have picked that up if it wasn't Grant Morrison, just because. You know, I, I have a love that's the biggest I don't selling know, I always love Grant Morrison. Sometimes I think his work is too convoluted and too ridiculous, but is it always interests me you know it's always enough to get me interested I'll, I'll always be interested in a book to at least check out if his name's on it and um you know the first issue did, did interest me enough to see where it goes so um yeah there's but I think just the, the it's, it is more of the overall story of where DC is going uh with you know the black lantern stuff the dark side stuff the multiverse stuff the overall story interests me more there whereas Marvel it's it's specifically just to see what a couple writers do
2: yeah I dig it
3: all right well I dig it too, and I think that's that's about it for tonight. We're recording this. We're we're bringing this one right down to the wire. We're recording this, uh, you know, at the the final moments before it's going to drop to the public here. So this is going to be the uh, the latest early release that our patrons get. Of course, our patrons do get <laughs> all of our episodes, and they will get this one early. It just might be an hour early, uh, but they will get this one early as well. Patrons get early access to all our episodes as well as tons of bonus content, including shows like Tales from the Bucket Pile. I just released another episode today, looking at an old issue of. Fantastic Four, I found Fantastic Four number 273. Uh, I also do the random Marvel Comics podcast. And of course, you get the Remzo rants. Uh, you're going to have a little reading list project coming up soon, too. Is that right, Remzo?
2: We, we've got the we've got the reading list fans have been extremely patient i announced that before i was moving to wisconsin so now i've kind of got those up we should be getting them uh by late july early august uh during midweek it'll probably be on uh, on thursdays when i release those and then on august 13th uh caleb franz is coming back and we'll be doing recaps for marvel's what if series on disney plus so really excited about that too
3: All right. Well, yeah. Check it all out over on the Patreon. Patreon.com slash SecondPrintPod. And if you like the show, but you don't want to give us money, that's okay, too. All we ask... Just tell a friend about it share the show with a friend retweet this thing you can retweet us uh, over on twitter at second print pod you can find us on instagram the same handle uh, you can also find we have a facebook page out there as well retweet share our stuff and if you would please just take it takes two minutes to go over to apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating and a great review that really does wonders to uh work those algorithms get us in front of more of those ear balls out there bringing comic book joy to you each and every wednesday here at SPC.
2: Well folks, as always, I'm Revsor W. Martinez. And
3: I am the Magnificent. That's
2: a new word. I just made it
3: up. The Magnifus. That's a good Mark word. Claire. Nice.
2: Good job. <laughs> Read, Read comics. comics. Change the world. Good night, America.